At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. It's been uh, the stance of our church that the gospel is not partisan. The gospel is not beholden to any party. It is greater than that. How many know we serve a king unelectable, unimpeachable, who reigns forever and ever and ever, King Jesus, amen? Um, but yet there are issues that um, are important for us to speak about. And one of the issues that many of you have asked for spiritual guidance on that the elders felt it's important to speak to is Proposition 3. Proposition or Proposal 3, as it's been called, uh, many of you may be aware of, is a proposal to amend uh, the state constitution uh, and make abortion available without restriction. Now, uh, we wrote a statement on this, and, and I want to make sure I spend most of my time today uh, on the message that I have for you from God's Word. But I do want you to know that this is important enough that our elders responded, and, and important enough to give you guidance, because I want you to always know how, how to apply the Word of God to every area of your life. So you can find that statement, and this is dangerous for me to tell you, because some of you will stop listening to me right now, uh, but you're going to find it on our website. There's a bank at the top of our website uh, that's the Elder Statement on Proposal 3. You could click there and read it, but don't do it right now. Listen to me right now. Um, but in that statement, we try to accomplish a couple of things. Number one, we want to make sure that we do as much as we can to firmly and clearly and loudly affirm our love, our appreciation, and our value for women. We thank God for the women of this church. And I want to say this, that there's not one area of this church and our mission that is not informed by the voice of the women of this church. And how many Praise God for their impact and fruitfulness in our ministry. But alongside of that, we want to make sure we are boldly declaring in a wavering voice our commitment to protecting the life of children in the womb. That is unwavering in our heart as a church as well. And um, in spite of cultural opinion, the fact is, is those two can stand side by side for one another. You can boldly love women and boldly affirm that all life has dignity. You'll see that in the statement that's on our website. You'll also see a ton of resources and those resources for you to read and watch and, and uh, be able to participate in is to do two things, give you a fuller understanding of the values that lead us to the conclusions that we affirm from God's word, uh, but also to equip you to have these conversations across the dinner table with friends so that you might be able to spread the truth of God's word. It's not enough for me just to declare from the pulpit. It's important for you to be able to know God's word in whole so that you can declare it uh, among your friends, family members, and neighbors. But it's also important, and this is the last statement I'll say on this, that anytime we bring up our commitment to protecting life in the womb, that we are sensitive to the fact that among us, 
are many who have experienced miscarriages, those who have maybe even participated in an abortion before. And as we teach them the morality of God, we need to always affirm that there is grace at the cross. And every single one of us, if the scriptures are true, have have, uh, all found ourselves desperately in need of that grace. And we have to also be aware that there are so many emotions that are aroused in a moment like this. So let me just say, as the weeks lead up to that November election. We're going to be very clear on so many things, but I also want to say this, that we want to make sure we're providing the best of pastoral care and love and support no matter where you find yourself. If you're a woman that has gone through a miscarriage, maybe you've gone through an abortion, maybe you have had a difficult pregnancy and you just need prayer for healing in that area of your life, we want to be here to pray for you. If you're a man who um, maybe you encouraged an abortion, maybe you funded an abortion, maybe you pressured a woman to get an abortion in, in the past, and then God opened your eyes to the truth of his word, his grace, his salvation, but you deal with that heaviness. We want to make sure we're praying for you and ministering to you as well because there is healing in Jesus. And so I want to encourage you today that at our center desk in the lobby, there'll be uh, some pastors there to answer any questions that you might have, but also in our prayer room upstairs. I've asked Missy Legler, who is the director of our ministry to women here at our campus, to have available our prayer room just for prayer. It's a discreet place. You can find it right above me upstairs, and you can join in there. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your word is true. Thank you for the way you lead and guide us. May we always, Lord, affirm Uh, what your word affirms. And Lord, may we always uh, distribute and declare boldly the love of Jesus to all. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd awaken our hearts and that you would allow our minds to be prepared for your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, by now, you know that we've been studying what's known as the farewell discourse. This is Jesus's uh, final time of teaching and communion with his disciples before he goes to the cross. Last words should be lasting words, and these words should have a bold imprint on our hearts. And today, we enter into what would be known as the Thursday of Holy Week. This is right before Good Friday, and we're going to spend a couple of weeks just looking at what Jesus declared and what we call the upper room uh, discourse as well, where Jesus is just unfolding for his disciples what life would be like for them once he ascends to heaven. Now you have to imagine how unsettling this moment must have been for them. Up until this point, they have had their teacher, their rabbi, their leader, their guide with them in physical form. If they had questions, they could go to him. If they needed disputes to be settled. He was the one who did it. If they wanted to know what the plan was for that day, he told them uh, when they woke up in the morning as the sun rose. But now, physically, he was going to uh, his father in heaven. And uh, he declares that to them. But he says to them he would not leave them as orphans in this world. Now, how many were with us last week when we talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer? How many are with 
with us last week. Man, was that a great week. That should cause us to rejoice and praise God because Jesus said, it is more expedient for you that I go away. Well, how is it better for, for them that Jesus would go away physically? Because he says, when I go away, the Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name and the Holy Spirit will abide in us. He goes on to say that he will guide you into all truth. He will bring to your remembrance everything that I taught you. He is your helper. The Greek word there is paraclete, meaning encourager, counselor, comforter. We have the greatest helper, the greatest encourager, the greatest counselor, the greatest um, uh, empower that the world has ever known living inside of us. And how many, by the show of hands, believe it to be true what Jesus declared that the spirit of the living God lives within you. How many believe that to be true? Praise God for, for that truth. But that's more than the academic truth, friends. That's a practical truth that comes with great expectation. What are you going to do with all that power? You got so much power living on the inside of you. What are you going to do with all that power? One of the saddest things in the world is for you to have power that is unutilized. You know, so often we talk about the word potential as if it's a good word, but potential really refers to, in a scientific sense, unutilized power. There's another word that's even greater, and that is kinetic. Kinetic means that this power is being utilized. Now, uh, as it pertains to God, God has no potential. And what I mean by that is that he is not sitting on unutilized power. He is maximizing his power, sustaining all things by his mighty word. And you and I should desire to maximize the powerful presence of the spirit of God in our lives. What are you going to do with all that power? One of the saddest winters for me was about four winters ago. And what made it sad for me is that it didn't snow that much that winter. Now you may say, why, why would that ever make you sad, Chris Brooks? It's because my gift, and I got a, birth, uh, a, a December birthday, so my birthday gift from my family that year was a powerful snowblower. Now what do you want to do when you get a powerful snowblower? You do not want it to sit in the garage unused. I couldn't wait to use that snowblower. As a matter of fact, I was hoping there'd be some little kids walking by the house. So when I blew the snow, it'd go flying on them. I, I wanted my neighbors to be out blowing their snow at the same time so I could show my neighbor how much more powerful mine was than theirs. I wanted to use that thing. I woke up every morning looking at the forecast, praying, Lord, let today day be the day that it snows. And day after day, week after week, it did not snow. And I was so disappointed because that's what happens when we have power unutilized. We should desire to use it. So how do we utilize the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to John chapter 15. We're going to talk about what God wants us to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to look at verse 8 really quickly, and then we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. But look at verse number 8. When you're there, say a big amen. amen. And he says, by this, my Father is glorified that you do what? Bear much fruit. Say it again. 
bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple, disciples. Now, how do you use the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is given to us there. It is to bear much fruit. Well, how do we bear fruit? Well, the first way that we go about uh, bearing fruit, and this is, this is the big idea for today, is that disciples of Jesus produce fruitful lives. But how do we produce fruitful lives? How do we bear much fruit for Jesus? Well, the first is that we must recognize our purpose. We must recognize our purpose. Look at um, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Friends, this is one of the great warning passages of scripture. There's far more content in these verses than I have time to be able to expound upon. But I'm gonna do my best to highlight the issues that I believe to be most critical for your understanding. The first thing you gotta understand here is that this is a warning passage. And it comes on the heel of many warnings that Jesus gave concerning the fact that in the last days, there will be many people who will fall away from the faith. He continues to reiterate this again and again throughout Scripture, that there are going to be many who will fall away and will not continue on in him. Saints, one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is I recognize in a room this big with so many people, not everyone will remain. That everyone is a disciple of Christ. Now, this is not a passage that declares the loss of salvation. This is a passage, I think, that reaffirms what's been called the perseverance of the saints, that Christ is able to keep us. He says that again and again as well, that he and the Father are able to keep us. And so those who have trusted in him will not lose their salvation. But yet here is a warning that not everyone who is around the things of God are actually in Christ. I want you to pause for a moment and consider this. It was just a chapter ago when Jesus predicted to the disciples that one of them would be a betrayer that one of them would be a betrayer. And did you notice what happened when he predicted that? That each one of them began to ask him, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? It's interesting to me because you would think that it was obviously Judas. We've had 2,000 years since then till now, and we've taught a lot about Judas, so we assume that Judas's uh, bad behavior, his lack of Christian con- uh, commitment, his uh, uh, lack of alignment with Christ was so clear so evident that everyone would have known that it was him. But the fact is, they didn't immediately say, oh, that must be Judas he's talking about. Jesus had to make that clear. They all, for a moment, had a moment of insecurity. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? I say that to say that sometimes it's not clear who is in Christ and who is not in Christ among us. But yet Jesus gives us a way to discern it. Jesus gives us a way to be able to know, and it is fruitfulness, fruitfulness. Now, he describes who he is. He tells us who the Father is, and then he tells us who we are. Who is he? He defines himself as the vine. 
that he's the plumb line. He is the vine to which all the branches are connected, through which the life of God flows. Now, this analogy of the vine is all throughout your Old Testament. And typically, it is understood to be Israel, Israel being the vine. I just want to give you one example of this. Isaiah chapter 27, Isaiah chapter 27, verse number 6. Here's the way Israel is defined. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Israel was uh, defined like a branch. But Jesus here comes and declares himself to be the true vine. I'm sorry, Israel was defined like a vine, but Israel, uh, but Israel wasn't the true vine. Jesus is the true vine, and he uh, declares himself really to be the fulfillment of prophecy, that all those prophecies about a vine bearing fruit that will fill the world with fruit, that would fill the world with the glory of God, all of that is fulfilled in him. Now, why is that so important? Here's why it was so important, friends. It's because most of Israel in Jesus' day thought Israel as a nation as an as a ethnic group, as the chosen people of God, they thought as long as I'm connected to Israel, my heritage will save me. That divine is Israel, and as long as I'm connected to Israel, that will be enough to save me. But Jesus comes to declare, no, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. I am divine. It's not your ethnic heritage that will save you, not your nationality that will save you, but it's being connected to me that will save you. Now, I want to just fast forward to our day because we got a lot of substitute vines in our own lives. What do we think will save us? Maybe we think it's being connected to a particular local church. As much as I want you to be connected to Woodside, I want you to know it's not enough to be connected to Woodside. How many know you need more than Woodside to be saved? How many know you need Jesus to be saved? And the church said... Amen. Uh, it's not a particular preacher or pastor that's divine. So as much as you may be connected and love your favorite pastor or preacher, they're not divine. Who is divine? Jesus is divine. Make sure you don't uh, ascribe your salvation, your connection to any false vines that you think will give you spiritual life. There's only one who gives spiritual life, and his name is Jesus. And then he goes on to say, and my father is the what? Vine dresser. Now we don't use that term vine dresser in our modern vernacular. He's the gardener. He's the gardener. He's the one that keeps the garden. And here's how he keeps the garden. Now, let me just say, I'm stepping on foreign soil with verse number two because I'm not a gardener. And so I, I will tell you what I've learned through research, but not through experience. Uh, but some of you have experienced what he's about to talk about, and you'll be able to relate. He says in verse number two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
Now this is a simple act that becomes very clear when you are growing a plant or you're growing a tree, this whole breaking off of dead leaves. How many have grown a plant before and you uh, pretty frequently visit, check in on it, and if there's a dead leaf on it, what do you do? You cut it off, right? You, you cut it off. And here is the warning in the warning passage. If you are not bearing fruit, the warning is you'll be cut off. Now this is not again a warning against those who are producing fruit in Christ, those who are true disciples of Christ, but this is a warning that should pique our interest. And what should be the question we ask? The question we should ask should be, what then is fruit? What does it mean to bear fruit? I'll get to that answer in a moment, but first I want you to see what happens with these branches. Look with me to Matthew chapter seven, uh, chapter seven and verse number 19. Matthew chapter seven, verse number 19. When you're there, say amen. And it says these words, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. That's a pretty stern warning that every tree in me, every branch in him that does not bear fruit is cut down. So the question you should be asking yourself is, am I a fruit-bearing branch? Am I a fruit-bearing branch? Am I bearing fruit for Jesus? Am I bearing fruit for the kingdom? Well, let me finish going back to chapter 15 of John. Let me finish verse number two. Every uh, branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then it goes on to say, and every branch that does bear fruit, he does what? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Uh, this, this pruning again, it's the pulling away of anything that would block it from growing. Uh, God has no problem stripping things out of your life, out of my life, that is blocking the sun, that is keeping us from growing, keeping us from bearing fruit. You should not be surprised when God cuts things out of your life, nor should you chase after those things that God has chosen in his sovereignty to cut out of your life. If God has cut something out of your life, our response should be yes and amen in Jesus. How many look back over their lives and praise God now for what he cut out yesterday? How many thank God for his faithfulness? There are certain relationships that had I had my way would have remained, but it would have blocked my fruitfulness. There are certain jobs that had I had my way, I would have kept, but it would have blocked my fruitfulness. I praise God. I release the pruning shears into his hands and trust him that he will cut off those things that he knows will limit my ability from bearing fruit. Well, what is the fruit that he wants me to bear? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse number five. Keep your finger in John 15. Hebrews chapter 13, I'm sorry, verse number 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15. Look at what it says here. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit. Here he's about to talk about fruit. What is fruit? The fruit. It is lips that acknowledge his name. 
So that's the fruit that we're looking to produce. We're looking to produce fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. In other words, we want to be disciples who are making disciples. We want to be disciples who are acknowledging his name. How many want to do that in every area of your life? Acknowledge his name. When we are praising God in, in corporate measure and we're proclaiming him to be the way, the truth, and the life, we are lips that are acknowledging his name. But how many want other lips to acknowledge his name? I mean, desire that. Even earlier today, as Pastor EJ and Alan prayed for us, praying for the gospel to spread around the Spanish-speaking nations of the world. What were they praying for? More and more lips that will acknowledge his name. What should we be praying for here locally? For more and more lips that will acknowledge his name. That my neighbor's lips would acknowledge your name. That my children's lips would acknowledge your name. That my grandchildren's lips would acknowledge your name. That fruit for Jesus is seeing more and more people come to faith in Christ. More and more people putting their trust and faith in him is the type of fruit that we should be seeking to produce. So here's the question. How are we doing at producing that type of fruit? See, we'll never encourage others to acknowledge his name if we're not. But if we are in him, we will bear fruit. If we are in him, we'll know it because we'll acknowledge his name and we'll be encouraging others to acknowledge his name. Does that make sense? Amen. Now, let's go on. That's our purpose. So our purpose is to bear fruit. Repeat that with me. My purpose is to bear fruit. And he's going to go on to say not just a little fruit. He wants us to bear what? Much fruit. Well, how do we do that? Well, he says, abide. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. This is what we just read in Matthew's gospel, chapter seven. He goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask anything, ask whatever rather you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's how you prove it. Verse number nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus gives us the reason why he is speaking these things. He wants us to be full of joy. 
Now the world, the marketeers of the world will give us their picture of what a joy-filled life looks like. What does a joy-filled life look, look like from a world's perspective? It is getting the next great toy, the next great possession, the next great thing. But have you ever uh, uh, noticed that that's a, a hamster wheel, that it's never enough, that there'll always be one more toy you have to get? The, the job of corporate marketeers, and if you're one of them, this isn't a criticism against all of you, just most of you. Uh, the, the job of corporate marketeers is to create within us this sense that our life is not satisfied or joyful unless we have the next great thing. I love the fact that contentment with godliness is of great gain. We need to praise God for what he's already given us in our lives. He's already given us the Holy Spirit. He's already given us his word. He's already given us his grace. How many know that if he doesn't give us another thing materially, that he's already been good to us? How many believe because of all that he's already done, that he is worthy of all the praise, glory, and honor, both now and forevermore? Can I get amen for that? But Jesus says your joy will be full when you're bearing fruit. And I will tell you that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no greater joy than to see more and more people acknowledging him with their lips. There's no greater joy than to see more and more people coming to faith in Christ, people who were far from Christ, people who denied Christ, people who were ardent against the gospel, people who are broken and battered and bruised by this world, people who are longing for grace and healing, to see them come to faith in Christ. Man, there is no greater joy than to see that. There's no greater joy than to see your children come to faith in Christ. I remember... Uh, we were going through a kid's Bible study at home, and my daughter, my oldest daughter Zoe, was about four or five years old, and we had gone through this Bible study, and me and my wife were at the dinner table, and we just kept talking, and we turned around, and we saw her kneeling at our couch, and we looked at her as that little girl acknowledged her sin before the Lord, prayed and asked Jesus to be her savior after having this Bible study prompted by the Holy Spirit and obviously encouraged by her parents. She did that all by herself. You talk about great joy. Every child in my house that I've been able to baptize, it's been through tears of joy as I cry like a baby as they're getting baptized because there's no greater joy. Jesus wants us to have this joy of knowing that people around the world are coming to faith in Christ. How many have great joy when you hear us report back to you that people in Thailand and in Mexico and in India and Romania and Ukraine are coming to faith in Christ because of the efforts of this church? How many have great joy in that? How many have great joy when you hear of a baptisms happening across all of our campuses every month, men and women going down in the waters of baptism declaring Jesus is Lord. That should bring you great joy. And not just uh, what's happening here, but what's happening through all the churches that God is using for his grace and glory. But how do we experience that? Well, point number two here is we got to remain in Jesus. We got to remain in Jesus. The operative word that's used again and again through these last verses is abide. 
Abide, abide in me, stay in me, remain in me. That makes life simple, doesn't it? I don't have to figure out the complexities of everybody's situation. I mean, there's hundreds of people in this room right now. I'm delivering one message and there are so many different life situations, but here's the good thing that I'm relieved of. I don't have to figure out every life situation. All I have to do is abide in his word. And as I abide in this word and declare his word to you, the Holy Spirit knows how to minister this word specifically to your life so that your eyes can be open to the truth. Now, I will tell you, there's great deception that is coming, friends. There's great deception that's not just coming, uh, but is upon us. The Bible talks about this, that the last days will be full of deception, And if you can imagine it as deceptive as these days are, that there are even worse days that are ahead. Well, truth will be called lies, and lies will be called truth. What is right will be called wrong, and what is wrong will be called right, and it will be done in such a persuasive way. If it wasn't for the Lord keeping those who are elect, that even we would fall away. Thank God for his keeping power. How do you survive those days? You have to be beholden to the word of God. Whatever issue in life that is not informed by the word of God will be an issue that you will get wrong. I don't care how great your political commentators are. I don't care how great the cable news pundits are. I don't care what newspaper or magazines you read. I don't care what letters you have after your last name. There are a lot of educated fools that will be in hell. You can have a PhD and be on the way to death and destruction. The fact of the matter is, is that whatever issue that I'm facing that's not informed by the word of God... I will end up making a mistake on. So I need to abide, abide in him in order to get this thing right and in order to bear fruit. Now notice that he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And that doesn't mean you can't do anything physical or natural, but that means in the context of this passage, you can't bear fruit. You can't do anything of spiritual value. And so how do I abide in him? Well, I do it through prayer and through the word. Verses seven and eight, abiding in him, asking whatever in my name. Now, why would he give me whatever I wish if I'm abiding in him? Well, he'll give me what I pray for if I'm abiding in him because if I'm abiding in him, what I'll be praying for is his word. What I'll be praying for is more fruit. What I'll be praying for is Lord, I'm not praying for you to give me something to make me happy. I'm praying that you'll give me something to make me holy. I didn't get an amen on that one. I'll just keep going. Sometimes you got to encourage yourself in the Lord. Verses 9 through 11 tell us that abiding in him means to love him, to remain in his love, and to obey him, to keep his commandments. He never separates love and his commandments. You can't say you love him if you're not keeping his commandments. But ultimately, friends, abiding in him brings great joy. I'm going to stop there. Again, I wish I had three more hours with you. It would be well worth the time. But I'm going to stop there to just drive home this point. If you're not abiding in Jesus, if you're not trusting and obeying, you won't know joy. You won't know real happiness. And some of you, you have lost joy in life. 
How's that joy fulfilled? It's not through vengeance. It's not through uh, going out and living out your pleasures in debased ways. Your joy is filled by abiding in Jesus. Trust and obey, for there's no better way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Everybody stand with me. As we close, we're going to close with that beautiful refrain. Uh, We're going to close in song today, but I want to challenge you if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, no matter if you're eight years old or 80 years old or anywhere in between, today can be the day of salvation for you and you can know joy. And if you are in him, go forth and bear much fruit. In this is our Father glorified and that we bear much fruit and that many lips will acknowledge him. Let's pray, Father, have your way in us. Lord, produce fruit in us. And if there's anyone in here that does not know your grace and salvation, I pray that they would today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.